here we go with part four of Go Make Stuff. Just talking about creativity, reinventing yourself. This will be the last one in this uh, series. Thank you guys for listening. We had pretty good listenership on this one. Um, I drew some ideas from a book called The Mystery of Art. I'd encourage you to look that up. It's it's a pretty deep deep book, especially if you're involved in what they call creative arts. But I'm I'm also talking in a much broader sense about creativity, which uh, is really I've defined it as any creative endeavor that connects the created things in a new or different way in the service of others. So it. It can be business. It can be a new idea for the worship team at church if you're part of that. It can be sports. It can be cooking. It can be whatever. Just we are, I believe, uh, by now I want to say by nature, by God, uh, creative because our Father is a creator. And so it's in our DNA to be creative. And when we were small children, we're as creative as all get out and we don't care what anybody thinks. You know, the pictures we draw, the things we make out of Play-Doh and the older we get, we kind of get boxed into this is what's acceptable and we stop taking risk with creativity. Um, I also, I emphasize that Art should be an act of generosity and service of others. That's kind of the motive, the target um, behind it. And I started giving, well, this is the last of the Ten Commandments, and they're not really commandments. We can call them suggestions. Ten ideas, ten principles that I just kind of drew up that I think are are relative. And uh, the first one is, thou shalt create art because you are created in the image of God. I already said that. It's already in us. Thou shalt make love for your neighbor your motive. We already said that, right? Proverbs eleven seventeen. he who is kind benefits himself. And so we're trying to extend what we have, what we have to offer to our church or our family or where we work or to our community, creative ideas that offer solutions. Um, number three, thou shalt not be afraid to experiment. And we talked about that, about, you know, sometimes you, you you create junk. That's okay. Keep creating because we mentioned that, um, you know, an author can write uh, a thousand pages and out of it comes two pages worth putting in the book. You know, um, we look at artists and we know some familiar paintings by certain artists, but what we don't know is perhaps the hundreds of paintings that never really made it out there for everyone to see that produced those. And it was from, you know, just taking creative risk and experimenting. The fourth one, thou shalt not fear vulnerability and that's, you know, where we, we take the risk and we put ourselves out there. We do it. You know, this Sunday, we ministered at Living Waters Church in Dutton, Virginia. That's in, uh, I guess it's Matthews County, Virginia, near Gloucester, what they call the Middle Peninsula. Dear friend, Pastor Grady Brown, I've known for 30 plus years, uh, just took that church over, I want to say two or three years ago, maybe more. But uh, nevertheless, he invited us to come. And another friend was going to be that. Well, I didn't know if he was going to be there or not. He randomly sent me a text about a certain song that uh, we do on our last album called Valley of the Damned. Now, that's a very, well, It's a, I encourage you to listen to it. Maybe I'll put it at the end of this uh, thing if you want to listen to that song. Um, but it's a challenging song for me because there is no band in it. It's me sitting down with a guitar and singing. And that's it. There's nothing to cover up mistakes. If there's a, you know, when you play with a band or even when we play with live soundtracks, um, there's some things there to kind of mix the sound up a little bit and hide little small errors you might make. 
But when you sit down with just an acoustic guitar in front of people, everything, every note it can be heard. And, you know, so it was, anyway, he sent me a, a message and said, man, I really love that song. Well, I had a feeling, he doesn't go there to church on a regular basis, but he lives in that area. And I had a feeling he might show up. And I just thought, you know, even though we don't do that song often, partly because of my fear of vulnerability, even though when we do it, when we have done it live, probably only two or three times since we wrote it, Susan sings with me, and that helps a little bit. It's, on the record, it's just me. And uh, so I rehearsed it, and I practiced it, and uh, and I said, you know, maybe we'll do this song on Sunday. Maybe we just need to get really fluent with this song. And sure enough, I got there on Sunday morning, and he was there, and I was like, okay, here it goes. I'm going to do this song. Now, I don't know how many of you people perform live or public speak, that kind of thing, uh, but that's a challenge in and of itself. And and I'd like to say that I'm, I am good um, if there's a band or there's a soundtrack. I think I'm pretty good. I can cover mistakes because the band keeps the song going. If it's just me and the guitar, if I fall off, if I miss a chord, if I lose my place, there's nothing to keep it going. The mistake just glares in the spotlight for a second until I get back on it. And uh, I said, well, we're going to do it. And I'm here. To, I've been a musician for decades. I've performed in front of probably tens of thousands of people, the inmates, of course, but in churches. And But here I am, feeling naked and vulnerable doing this song, and uh, 99% of it went perfect. And not just sang it, but I emoted it. I really got in the moment. It's a very emotional song. And... Uh, but the last two chords, I think it was, I fell off and I just hit the guitar and said, darn it, in front of everybody. You know, I, what's amazing is that my son often does full acoustic shows. And when he started playing with us uh, in prisons, he would get up and do his songs, just him and the acoustic guitar. And that boy drives me, he never makes a mistake whole concerts in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people, and he just does I'm sure he has, but I've yet to see him make a mistake that I went, I mean, his singing notes, all that, and so that kind of intimidates me a little bit. But anyway, it, it got the point across, and, and it only, I'll get into why it was important for me to do that in a second, but maybe you can already obviously see but we can't fear vulnerability. We've got to get out there and make the mistakes in order to get better, to correct. All right, number five, thou shalt not wait for inspiration. Uh, I'll use that uh, quote that's credited to William Faulkner, the writer. He said, I only write when I'm inspired. Fortunately, I'm inspired, inspired at nine o'clock every morning. We're going to get deeper into that in a second here. In other words, we don't sit around and wait for inspiration to strike. We get to work. Number six, thou shalt embrace solitude. I uh, talked about the importance of, you know, sometimes just sitting with you and God. Solitude being um, just you, your thoughts, and God, and no input from other minds. You're not reading something. You're not listening to something. You're not talking to someone. You're just sitting and maybe meditating on the Word, maybe rolling thoughts around in your mind. So helpful. Uh, so hard to do in today's day and age, but it's often in those moments. I, I use the example of sometimes people talk about creative ideas coming to them while they're in the shower. Well, yeah, because it's just you, and uh, you know you're, you generally. I got a, I've got a cousin who has a TV in the bathroom. Go figure. 
but I don't. I don't even have radio in the bathroom. If I take a shower, it's me and my thoughts. And uh, it's often in those moments of solitude we come up with creative ideas. And then the last one I shared in the last podcast, I guess number seven, is thou shalt seek creative a creative space. How it's important sometimes to just kind of go to a different spot. Um, if you're a writer, for example, <clears throat> sometimes maybe uh, going to the local Starbucks and writing there, or in my, in my area, there's a Kroger department store that has a huge dining area and they have Wi-Fi and you can sit in the corner and you're all by yourself. I haven't done that lately, but when I was a pastor, I would sometimes do that to work on my messages and stuff to get away from the familiar and how that can sometimes help. Let me just rehash why it's important for we as believers in this dark world to have creative ideas. We, we, we were able to bring light to situations, and, and we should be problem solvers, not just people that sit in our recliner and gripe about the problems. We should be coming up with creative solutions, creative ideas that bring light. We are the, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill, right? And so let's get into the last few. I think there's three more, and this is number eight. Thou shalt develop routine and break it. Now, there's a there's a proverb that says, uh, in Proverbs 6, I'll read the whole thing, verse 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep? A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, that that makes me think about the routine of an ant. They have no ruler. They have nobody bossing them around, go do this, go do that, giving them. They just have a routine. You see, you look at a, an ant hill, I guess, it was built grain by grain. These ants, and, the, and here, the, 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 I guess it was Solomon that wrote this proverb, but the, the writer is telling us to look at the ant. Don't be a sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. It says little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. So a negative routine can result in a huge deficit, right? However, a positive routine where we're just little by little working, chipping away at something. Uh, it says in Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. And we're talking about money, but the principle is true, I believe, of just about anything. Little by little, if we're trying to create something, you know, uh, writing a book is a great example, you know, little by little, you know, you, you you write a little today, a little tomorrow. Look, maybe you don't have an hour a day to commit to that. Maybe you only have 10 minutes a day to create or to work on your creative idea. Most of us have more time than that. We need to set a routine where we work at whatever it is that we're trying to create. Uh, the Compound Effect is a book that's written by a man named Darren Hardy. He has said some good stuff, and that's a great book, by the way. Um, I subscribed to his stuff for a while until he just about blew my mailbox up. So I still check him out and all, but he's very much a leadership, um, inspirational guy and nonstop marketing his goods. He's very persistent. Uh, I'll give him that and understand that. I just, it was too much. But the book, nevertheless, The Compound Effect, he, he says The Compound Effect is the principle of reaping huge rewards from a series of small, smart 
choices. What's most interesting about this process to me is that even though the results are massive, the steps in the moment don't feel significant. So it's little by little we work at this thing that we're trying to get better at, we're trying to create, we work at this problem, we try to solve. That's what creativity does. It solves problems, it offers solutions, it brings light. So whatever it is that we're working on, little by little, sometimes ideas come in a flash of light, granted, okay? Normally, not the case. Normally, not. I read recently, I forget who it was that said it, I don't believe in epiphanies. Um, Sometimes we that are led by the Holy Spirit do have a, a divine idea that just pops into our head, right? Especially in those times of solitude. But for the most part, it's little by little, we chisel away at something and it grows. The idea uh, comes into shape. It's the the sculptor who just looks at that piece of rock, and little by little, he works at it until out comes this beautiful statue or sculpture. Uh, I've been reading some about the Stoics, uh, Marcus Aurelius, you know, the Roman emperor, Seneca, and Epictetus. I think I said that right. Um, they had a philosophy, and for the most part, from what I can gather, Stoicism uh, in general is not in completely incompatible with Christianity if we read it through the lens of, of Jesus um, and, and the Word of God. Uh, I guess it can go off the rails, but so far what I've read, much of it, I'm like, well, I knew that from the Bible. But there is a, a concept, um, what they, one of the pillars uh, of Stoicism that athletes use to this day, and, and in a nutshell, it is control the controllables. Stoics contend that we only have control over two things, how we think and how we act. So we shouldn't get caught up in all the stuff that we really can't control. And this is all about choices. To be consistently create consistently creative, we must choose to initiate a small series of smart choices in how we use our time. Preaching to myself here. We need a routine that fosters creativity. That 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 includes things like the time of day. You know, like William William Faulkner said, inspiration strikes at nine o'clock every morning when he sits down at his computer or his typewriter, probably back when he was a writer, and says, here's here's the time of day when I write or when I work on my idea, whatever your idea may be. It, the routine that fosters creativ- creativity can involve the setting, the place where you work. Like, this is my work zone. Um, it can involve things like, I, I call them tokens. Um, maybe you, you light a candle when you're working on your idea, when you're reading about your, you know, how to come up with creative solutions, or you turn on a certain type of music while you uh, work on your project. Inspiration can strike at any time, and when it does, we need to jump on it, or at least write the idea idea down, but it often strikes when we're already working, we're, we're swinging the hammer and then hitting that chisel against that rock, whatever, you know, that's just speaking as an illustration, but we're working on that idea. You know, for me, uh, I, I have a, I kind of got this idea from a blues guitar player named uh, Walter Trout. I did it anyway, but I didn't do it very consciously. Um, He's renowned in the blues world, fantastic guitar player. He's been at it for 40-plus years. Uh, 
bunch of albums out and he talked about you know i just sit and watch movies or watching tv or whatever and i just got my guitar in my hand i'm noodling around and out pops an idea and and that can actually be sort of a routine um so for me i've almost always had this little acoustic guitar beside me and uh you know kind of noodle around while i'm watching tv and uh most recently, I bought this. What I it's a little electric, it's a three quarter size electric guitar shaped like a Les Paul, if you know what that is. And I bought this little mini rechargeable amplifier. And it, I just sit there, and what we our guitar players call it noodling. Uh, and if an idea pops out, I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I break my phone out and I record that idea. Okay, that's great. I got a flash of inspiration, cool idea. But now it, it's a matter of sitting down during my routine creative time and re-listening and bringing shape to those ideas. You know, uh, I read quite a bit, I guess, um, and at different times. You know, if I'm if I'm bored and, and during the day, in the morning I almost always read a little, and uh, but read different times throughout the day. Sometimes at night, my wife will go to bed first. I'll turn the TV off and I'll read. Um, and I'll get ideas, but when it came to putting those ideas together and writing a book, you know, the book Thrival Mode, uh, using, uh, the power of vision to ignite your passion for living, which has been very successful for a lot of folks, just some ideas, things I've lived through and all that, but to, to consolidate those ideas, and you, by the way, you can download a free PDF of that at lifeontheverge.com, or uh, you can actually buy a copy, I think, for off Amazon for very affordable things, like three or eight bucks, something like that. Anyway, um, but to write the book, to bring those ideas together, so I've got all these ideas and maybe inspirations that struck at different times, I had to have a routine where I sat down and I wrote. And when I wrote that book, and I'm, again, preaching to myself because I need to get back into a routine of writing. Um, I, I enjoy it, it is, but it is challenging. I know it's a blessing to other people. Um, well, it can be a blessing to other people. You know, we you know, sold a few copies at the church we were just at, and I preached from it. I spoke from the book, some of, some of the concepts, and I had a lot of great feedback. And I'm not boasting myself. Um, I simply say thank you. I just Put the pieces together, and if it helps you solve some problems in your life, praise God. Uh, but to bring those ideas together, um, is it, it can be a challenge, especially when we're on the road. But when I wrote the book, I developed a routine that really worked. I, my, I would always get up before my wife. I generally do get up sometimes two or three hours before I get up before it's light outside. And I would sit down in a certain chair in the RV. You know, we have a... Uh, a dining room section, and then we have a couch, and then we have this one chair that sits on one side of the RV, and I had a certain footstool that I would use, and a, a laptop uh, desk thing you put on your lap, and I had this little place where I sat my coffee, and it was like, this was my routine, and I'm going to write until about 10 o'clock, and, uh, and then right afterwards, I'm going to get my workout in. And man, I, I set a goal to write the book in, in like 21 days, and I, I think I hit it. Now, of course, that doesn't include the rereads and the editing. That took forever. That's the hardest part. But the the main ideas, the the book, uh, the skeleton uh, was done. And uh, I shouldn't even say the skeleton. The 
probably 80% was done. It was, you know, it needed to be proofread, it needed to be edited, the graphics and all that stuff. But my point is, is that I set a routine and I accomplished something. And so it's important that we have routines that foster creativity. And then conversely, we're not afraid to break that routine. Now, understand you've got to have a routine first, but sometimes, (coughs) excuse me, routines can get too routine. You know, anybody that is, uh, you know, somebody that's into bodybuilding or really sculpting their body, for example, and that's another great example of how routine, little by little, those muscles grow and take shape. And, uh, but, and it just isn't for bodybuilders, it's really for anybody that's trying to be fit. You, you sometimes have to surprise your muscles with a different movement in order to foster growth. So you've got to kind of break your, you still have the routine of showing up at the gym or showing up at your creative space, but it's become too routine and you don't feel like you're growing. You have a routine. You've been using that routine so much that it, it you feel like you need to break it. You need to change a little, change it on purpose. Maybe choose a different place, a different time, a different token, a different idea, Sometimes that works for me. And I mentioned that about going to different places. You know, sometimes you need to break that routine. So enough about routine, but you do need a a series of smart choices. Little by little, it grows through routine. And then don't be afraid to break it if it gets too routine. And then uh, number nine, thou thou shalt learn through feedback. Um. You can't learn through feedback if you don't ship your art or your creative idea, whatever it is. Um, I've talked about that before in the Risk of Art series. Uh, That's a term I got from Seth Godin about shipping your art. In other words, putting it out for public opinion. Um, You can't learn if you don't do that. If you don't put it out for public opinion uh, or to trusted mentors, and then you've got to guard yourself and not get defensive every time somebody criticizes your work. We're trying to learn from feedback. Uh, We've got to be aware of the difference between a critic and a cynic. Uh, Let me back up for a minute. Um, Great example of uh, someone who made a colossal mistake on Sunday. Maybe you're an NFL person. Uh, I definitely watch the playoffs, and I love to watch elite athletes work and their thought processes. And then, you know, it took little by little routine that got them there. And then they try to, you know, the coaching staff and and uh, all those folks that are behind the scenes, they're all working on creative ideas, new and different ways to get that ball down the field and over the goal line. Um, and so, on Sunday, you know, there's just a few seconds left in the game, and it was 20 to 20 between the Chiefs and the Bengals. The Chiefs apparently have lost three times to the Bengals in recent history, and have not defeated them yet. This is this is to determine whether you go to the Super Bowl or not. And so the Chiefs have the ball, and they're working down the field, and they only got to get close enough to kick a field goal, and they're going to the Super Bowl. But if the Bengals can stop them far enough back that they can't kick the field goal, then it may go into overtime, or the Bengals get it back, and they get a chance to score and go to the Super Bowl. And there was a a horrible penalty. A defensive player, um, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback, 
was scrambling and he ran the ball and he got out of bounds and the defensive player hit him and knocked him down after he was out of bounds. And that is, I think it's an unsportsmanlike conduct call, 15 yards, which puts them in field goal range. They kick the field goal and they win. Um, man, what a, you could say that guy cost them a trip to the Super Bowl. And, and, and the cynic would say that. He would attack that person personally, that player, and say, you idiot, you cost us a trip to the, and I'm sure there's plenty of cynics out there. That is not at all the deal. The deal is the whole team lost the game. There were times they could have scored when somebody else made a mistake and didn't do it. They All the, all the behind-the-scenes people lost the game, okay? Everybody's contribution. No one person uh, caused them to lose that game. And, you know, when the I read an interview with the player who was actually crying, pouring tears at the end of the game because of what he had done, uh, he came back and he said, I just have to learn. I've got to do better. You know, and I'm sure that he was, you know, his team backed him and they let him know, hey, man, you're not the only one. We all made mistakes. We all lost this game. Uh, the critic, okay, is someone who offers constructive feedback about your work. So the 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 coaching staff or the people that came to him and said, hey, man, you've got to do better, and here's how you can do it, with the goal of making him a better player, being constructive, not someone that just throws stone. The critic offers constructive feedback about your work. The cynic is someone who offers destructive feedback aimed at you personally. Don't entertain these people. Don't let them occupy your headspace, especially if you put something out online, um, uh, your songs or, or your whatever it is, your writing, and somebody comes at it and begins to attack you personally, and their goal isn't to help you get better. Their goal is to make them look better by trying to make you look bad. That's a cynic. So it's okay to listen to people that are offering constructive criticism if it, if that feedback helps you get better. You know, a great example is several years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, I sat down with my friend Jimmy Bratcher in his studio in Kansas City. He is a mentor, trusted to this day, a dear friend one of my life's heroes. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing today if it wasn't for him. And I played some demos for him of some ideas, some song ideas. <laughs> I remember one song I played for him that I was kind of proud of. And he looked up at me and he just shook his head. No, no, nah. You know, and he offered me some constructive feedback on those demos that they just weren't there. He basically said, you're not there yet. And it, it was, it hurt, you know, I mean, gosh, nobody likes that, but I trusted him that he was trying to be constructive and help me. And I went back to the drawing board. You know, Jimmy's recorded, I think, 13 albums with professional players and professional studios. This guy knows what he's talking about, and he cares about me, and he cares about my wife. He cares about our ministry. They support our ministry. So I had to take that feedback. First off, I had to get the nerve to play the demos for him. Uh, sometimes we don't, sh that's shipping our art. I had to be wise enough to get feedback from trust, a trusted mentor before I threw it out for everybody to listen to. And, uh, and so that made me go back to the drawing board and work harder and, and listen to what he had to say. And then we went into a studio a few years later to record 
um, our first album under the Plunders moniker. And when we recorded the first song, we only had enough money to record the first song, but I wanted it done right. And I wanted a producer to help me. You know, is there structural changes that can make it better? And we were 95% of the way there, 97% of the way there. But even the producer said, you know what, if we tweak this, if we went a little longer right here, you know, he helped me um, make it better. It helped us make it better. And when we got the first song done, the first thing I did is I sent it to Jimmy. Now I was confident that the song was solid, but I wanted to, to get his advice on the quality of the recording, the engineering. And he came back and, and he applauded it. It was great. And so then we we got enough money to record another song. And little by little, we had a whole album and we put it out there and we've gotten, I, I don't know if we've gotten negative feedback, you know, for the most part, positive feedback. I mean, you don't not everybody loves our style of music or whatever, but we haven't had people. I always say, well, you can argue you don't like the style of music or you don't like the song or the genre, but you can't argue that it's not well done. It was well done. So don't be afraid. Don't get defensive about feedback if it's coming from critics, constructive critics. Um, but don't entertain people that are just being cynical. And then lastly, should be pretty com- pretty much common sense for us as Christians, and that is don't get prideful. In other words, uh, thou shalt accept praise humbly, okay? And that should be a simple concept for us as Christians because we know our arch nemesis specializes in pride, and that is the danger zone. And how that applies, because it's easy for all of us to slip into Pride when we've been successful or wildly successful at something. Um, Suppose you've developed a a great idea, a wildly successful idea at work or a song or a piece of writing or, you know, some idea in your community or you've created whatever your art is. You know, you've you've come up with an unbelievable recipe. Um, You have to we have to guard ourselves against pride in those moments. And pride in those moments can be very, very subtle. Let me give you an example. Um, Well, let's say that you've been successful enough to stir up the cynics and make them jealous. Because you're successful, they begin to be cynical of your work because you're making them, you're, you're, you're not intentionally attacking their insecurity, but you're certainly affecting it. And so they begin to be vocal in attacking you. Um, and so you've been that successful. You've got this great idea. When someone compliments your work, the right response, and I heard someone say this years ago, and it really made sense to me. Here's what my tendency was, okay, is that if I've been really successful at something uh, and someone compliments it, I want to go into a 20-minute dialogue about how I accomplished my great goal, you know, um, and that does that's not always prideful, but I, I begin to recognize it and as prideful. And I heard someone say the right response is sometimes just a simple, thank you very much. I'm glad you liked it. You know? And let them inquire if they want to learn more about how you did what you did or and that kind of thing. Um I love, you know, most quarterbacks, the elite quarterbacks, when they're interviewed after a big win. They generally accept that praise humbly. Most players, really, there's a few knuckleheads, but most of them, uh, they. I always listen. Are they going to give credit to the team? And they do. You know, they'll, they'll say, 
they'll matter of fact they'll sometimes even be a little uh, what's the word um, demeaning of themselves or they'll be humble they'll say yeah yeah I could have done better I, I tell you our guys and they'll go into talking about how it took the team to win that game even though they may have been like the the guy that just man like a Tom Brady came back from twenty eight to three in one of the Super Bowls and and uh, just give credit to the team because they knew they needed the team. So we know pride goeth before a fall. Scripture tells us that. But it also makes us look like an idiot. And I'll close with this little illustration. I'm a minute over time, but we're at the end of the series. Stay with me. Recently, you know, my wife and I, it's pretty much our routine to watch Jeopardy most nights. Okay, I don't know if that's an old people thing or what, but uh, we always watch it. And we try to answer as many questions as we can. We realize just how much we don't know. <laughs> and there was a character on there recently. And uh, you, there's some. sometimes we just get entertained watching the different people, the contestants, because there's some wild people that get on Jeopardy. But uh, this one uh, contestant uh, is a professional quiz guy. Like, that's what he does. He trains people. He's got a blog. He trains people for debates and quizzes and that kind of thing. And he beat like a multi-day champion, and he became the champion. And then he won, I think, three times or so. He beat the, the contestants that came on. And then he got beat. And uh, you could tell he didn't take it well. And he came out uh, recently, I guess, I've read a couple of articles, <coughs> being super critical of Jeopardy. Oh, it's just a, uh, a reality show. It's not a real quiz show. And, and to me, that was all pride. You know, that was all, and it not only made him look prideful in my eyes, but it made him look like an idiot. And he got pounced on by a lot of people online, making excuses for why he failed as somebody else's problem and placing blame on the show because he lost. He didn't think that way when he applied to be on the show, when he took the test to be on the show, when he was winning the show, right? Uh so that's the last one. Guard yourself against pride when you are successful. I've heard it said uh, the two greatest tests for us uh, as men and women are when we are failing and when we are exceeding, when we are tremendously successful or when we fail in a colossal way. That's when our real character comes out. So I hope you got some of this series. Um, I love doing this, by the way. It stirs me up. It reminds me of things because... We have pretty short-term memory when it comes to some of this stuff. I pray that you go on to be more and more creative, especially in this day and age where there's so many problems to solve. Let's be about solving problems in creative ways. Whatever your art may be, whatever way you take the creative things or already created things and put them together in new and different ways to bring glory to God and to serve your fellow man. Okay, I said I would uh, play you out with the song that I did on Sunday, Valley of the Damned. Uh, it's from the perspective of what they call the repentant thief on the cross. And so uh, you can listen if you want. If you don't like it, turn it off. I won't be offended. Just don't be cynical. Bless you. down 
with no one to understand You met me in the valley of the day Hanging on a cross that I deserve to bear
Just a reminder that Life on the Verge is a debt-free, fully funded, IRS-recognized 501c3. That means all of your gifts of support are tax-deductible. You can give online at lifeontheverge.com, learn more about our ministry there, and also find their mailing address there if you'd like to send your gift. You can listen to more of our music at theplunders.com. You can also find The Plunders music on most streaming platforms. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you. We couldn't do what we do without you. God bless.